0: What if for the sake of discussion this morning, you and I decided that we would be an extraordinary version of ourselves, just the very possible best you that you could possibly be. I want you to imagine that for a minute and what that would look like. And I'm not talking about being extraordinary at something like an extraordinary guitar player, an extraordinary golfer, an extraordinary swimmer, an extraordinary something. We know people who are extraordinary at something, but are terrible people. I'm talking about extraordinary as a lifestyle living an extraordinary life. What would that look like for you? And what does that look like for me? What if you woke up today and decided that you would be an extraordinary husband or an extraordinary father or an extraordinary mother or an extraordinary wife, or today I'm going to be an extraordinary employee or an extraordinary boss or an extraordinary student. What if you just decided that? How do you think that would impact the people around you? If something happens in your life and you know how you would normally make a decision, if you stopped for one minute and said, what would an extraordinary person do? How would that impact your decision? The dictionary defines extraordinary in a couple of ways. The first definition says extraordinary is something that goes beyond what is usual, regular, or established. Beyond what is usual, regular, or established. Secondly, extraordinary is defined as exceptional in character and noteworthy. That's what extraordinary means. So, what if you decided that you would live your life beyond what is usual, regular, or established? What if you you said you you got up tomorrow and said, "This week, I'm going to live a life that is extraordinary. That is beyond what is usual." What would it look like if you decided you were going to be exceptional in character and noteworthy? That's what we're talking about here with extraordinary. Now imagine for a moment that the people in your life are being extraordinary. Would you have a problem with that? Husbands, would you yell at your wives? Honey, I didn't marry you because you weren't extraordinary. Don't go being extraordinary on me. No, that's not what I married. What are you doing? As parents, would we get upset at our kids who are being Extraordinary. Johnny, don't go being extraordinary now. (laughs) You're going to, you're going to bring, you're going to give me a bad name. We worked so hard. So you'd be ordinary. Don't go being extraordinary. How do you think you'd respond if people in your life were being extraordinary? How incredible would it be if all the people in your life and you included before any decision was made, you asked one simple question, what would an extraordinary person do? in this situation that I'm in now what would an extraordinary person do if you only have one life to live why not live it extraordinarily why spend time living an ordinary life when we only have one life to live it gives me chills thinking about it I don't know about you guys alright now we're coming to the sermon part so now you gotta listen (laughs) if you are a Christian and you believe that the Bible is true which in New Life we do Then you have to ask the question, what would an extraordinary person do? We don't have an option as Christians. We have to be extraordinary because Jesus that we follow is extraordinary. And so that's what we're dealing with this morning. As believers, we believe that we serve a personal God who has a personal plan for our life and knows our name and loves us beyond compare. We believe that because of his love, he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins so that we could be with him forever. We believe that what God has started, God will finish. We believe that every day matters and that we will be held accountable for every one of those days. We believe that every person was made in the image of God and should be treated like someone who was made in the image of God. Every person deserves to be treated in an extraordinary way. As Christians, we don't have an option, but we have to do this. Otherwise, it becomes difficult to claim that we believe those things that we believe. If we're not living our life like that, it's really hard to claim to be Christians. And so I want to stop from it. That tension we're feeling, right? Because we realize, as I'm reading this lesson, we realize, I don't know if I actually am really believing that or not. Or I don't know if my life reflects that or not. That tension you feel is the same tension the Israelites felt thousands of years ago in the book of Judges. Judges takes place in the time between Joshua and King David. So it's a period of about 300 years. And Doug has hammered this to death, so I don't need to show maps and things. I think we're pretty clear as to where all that is. The Israelites went into the promised land, adapted to the cultures that they conquered, got comfortable with what was going on, forgot about God, and then suffered the consequences. This occurred over and over and over and over again. Not only in the book of Judges, but throughout the new, throughout the Old Testament. So it's like the shampoo bottle, wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. That's exactly what the Israelites were doing. Wash, rinse, repeat. Oh, I can't believe we've done this. Wash, rinse, repeat. And if I were to be honest this morning, I think a lot of us in here are doing the same thing. The people of God would use the power of God to do as, as He needed them to do. And then they would settle the lands and then they would get comfortable with being ordinary, right? Lord, we need your power for this. God would give them the power. They would go in, conquer a land, get comfortable, become ordinary, forget about God. So this morning, I'm going to talk about the difference between ordinary and extraordinary people. And the first thing we learn is that ordinary people look out and around. Extraordinary people look up. Extraordinary people are always looking to God. They're not looking at what's going on around him. They're saying, God, what are you doing? Where are you going? That's what I want to do. Ordinary people go, get to a place, get comfortable, adapt. That's what ordinary people do. Extraordinary people says, I don't care what's going on around me. I only care what's going on above me. And that's with my father. I believe that whole idea is what modern culture is like today. We strive so hard for what we deem is normal. I'm going to work really hard for normal. I'm going to work really hard for normal, what everybody has. Or what everybody says is normal. I'm going to work really hard for that. We pray and study. We rely on God. We go to church. We go to small group. We go to Bible studies. We do everything we can. And then when God in his mercy and favor grants us that thing, we settle and we become ordinary. Like, man, I worked so hard and God, you are awesome. And you got me here and you gave me that job I wanted, or you fixed this relationship. And then we settle and we start to look around. And then we sink back into this world of ordinary. Extraordinary people never, never settle for what's around them, but are constantly settling for what God wants and looking above them. That's what an extraordinary person does. The book of Judges records this perpetual game between God and his people. And Doug has said this a few times of disobedience, disaster, and then deliverance. They disobey disaster strikes and then God delivers them. How would they disobey? They would disobey by worshiping idols and the like. So they would conquer a land and then worship their idols. That's how it would work. So be like you, God telling you to go witness to your neighbor, witness to your neighbor, bring him to Christ. And then you guys begin to worship something that your neighbor worship. You worship an idol that your neighbor had. That'd be the exact same thing. If his idol was football, you'd worship that. If his idol was music, you'd worship that. And God's like, what are you doing? I gave you the strength to witness to this guy. Why are you worshiping his idols? That's what the people were doing. Disaster would strike, and usually in that time, disaster means they would be conquered or their food would get wiped out or something major would happen. And then, only then, would the people cry back out to God. And God, in his infinite mercy, would deliver them from their toil. Throughout the 300-year cycle of judges, God would raise up judges to deliver his people. Last week, we talked about one of those judges when Doug talked about Samson. This week, I'm going to talk about another judge who has a different outcome than Samson, and his name is Gideon. Gideon, like many of us, believed in God, but lived his life as an ordinary person, right? He believed God was God. God did what God said he was going to do. God was all powerful, almighty, all knowing, but still lived an ordinary life. And I think the same can be said for a lot of us. Gideon believed about himself what everyone around him told him about himself. So they told him he was this getting believed well, I'm this. Cause that's what people are telling me. Let's pick it up in judges chapter six. When the people of Israel again, did what God considered evil. He made them serve the Midianites for seven years. The power of Midian prevailed over Israel so that the Israelites built for themselves, hiding places in the mountains and caves and in strongholds. So Midianites came in conquered. And then the Israelites just went up in the mountains and hid. As any good, powerful nation of God would do, right? They hid in caves and forts and whatever, tree houses, whatever they could build. That's where they hid. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the soldiers of Midian, Amalek, and others from the east would rise up against them and destroy their fields and farms as far as Gaza in the west, leaving them nothing to eat and no livestock. So any time they planted something, it would get destroyed. Anytime they herded cattle, they would get destroyed. So they have no food, no way of getting food, and they're hiding. This is the nation of God. This is what they're doing. So disobedience and disaster. Judges 6.6 tells us this. So the people of Israel were impoverished because of the Midianites, and they cried out to God for help. So they realized we've done everything in our power. We've disobeyed God. Maybe we should cry out to God now. And Doug has said this before. When you break a rule, you cry out to the person whose rule that you broke. So when dad tells you something and you disobey dad and something happens, you call dad. Like, Daddy, I'm I'm sorry. I blew it. Can you help me? Now, when mom tells you something and you don't do it and it messes up, you call mom. Mom. Oops. (laughs) That's what we do with God too, right? We disobey God, break his rule, so we call on God. The nation of Israel rebelled and turned their backs on God. And I think this is hard for us to believe God turned his back on the nation. And I think as Christians, we have to understand that, that when we turn our back on God, he will turn his back on us. God's not that little puppy dog that's waiting at the door for when I mean, he loves us and we're willing to come back to him. He comes back to us. But the Bible says over and over again on the times where God turned his back on his people because they turned his their back on him. After much strife, the nation turned back to God, cried out, and God turned back to the nation. That idea, guys, is what repentance is. And I want to give you a little visual of repentance. So repent, so we're walking, you know, I'm walking down this path with God. And the enemy sends temptation, and then the temptation runs this way. Temptation's only temptation if we can resist it. If we can't, it becomes sin. So all of a sudden we see temptation like, oh goodness, that looks really good. And it could be money, it could be relationships, it could be anything. We start to chase this, but to do that, we have to turn our backs to God, right? You can't chase and still be with God. So we turn our backs to God, go this way. God says, all right, I love you and I will forgive you, but I'm not going to force my forgiveness on you. So God turns his back from me. I get over here, realize, oh my goodness, what has happened? Genuinely turn, cry out to God, go back to God. God turns around and runs back to me and says, I forgive you. That's what repentance is. And that's why it's so powerful because it's a decision we've had to make. We have to say, you know, I, I've messed this up. God, I really do need you. And God's God will run back to us every time, every single time. This whole idea, guys, is this is the second thing we can realize between ordinary and extraordinary people, ordinary people walk apart from God. Extraordinary people run towards God. And I'm not even saying we forget about God. We just walk apart from him. There are so many things that I do in my life that God really isn't involved in. And I suspect it's the same for you guys as well. We claim to be Christians. We claim to love the Lord with all our hearts, all our souls, and all our minds. But yet we tend to walk apart from God. Extraordinary people, people who have extraordinary lives, are running towards God all the time. And that's the difference. God is a God of mercy because of that mercy and he is so merciful that he does not seal us from the consequences of our decisions, no matter how much we might hope that he would. We hope that God loves us so much that if I screw up and do something stupid, he'll shield me from that. God says, no, I love you too much. And I am way too merciful to do that. I need you to walk through it. So when you run back to me for forgiveness, you really know what that feels like because you've been to the bottom and I'm going to raise you back up to the top again. That's how merciful and loving God is. And as parents, we understand that sometimes our kids do really dumb things. And as a, a parent, you want to shield them from that. But we realize if we do, we're hurting the kid and God's the same way. It's like, if I shield you from this, I'm hurting you, feel the pain, feel the sting, and then run back to me and let me love on you and let me pour back into you what you need. Extraordinary people realize that God will give us as much mercy and forgiveness as we possibly need. His forgiveness never runs out, His mercy never runs out. And if we need a hundred times mercy, He'll give us a hundred times. If we need eight hundred times, He'll give us eight hundred times. God will never quit giving us mercy. Let's continue in Judges. Now in Ophrah, an angel of the Lord sat under an oak tree that belonged to Joash, the Abazarite, the Abizarite. Gideon, the son of Joash, was beating out wheat in the wine press, so that the Midianites could not see what he was doing. I know we don't thresh wheat much anymore in our country because they have machines that do that, but typically you do it out in the open. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. So this is what's going on here. He's doing his family's job of threshing wheat, but he's still hiding while doing it. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So get this picture. They're hiding. He's threshing a weed, a job that's supposed to be done in the open. He's doing it in hiding. And the angel goes, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That is the picture right there. For some of us in the room this morning, this is where we're at, right? God is telling you, you are a mighty warrior. You are a princess of the Lord and you're hiding. I'm like God, I'm not. I'm not that. I'm not a mighty warrior. I'm not a princess. Look what I've done. Look what I'm thinking. Look what's going on in my life. And God is saying, no, you're a mighty warrior. Let's continue. Sir, so this is Gideon. And I I like how nice Gideon is with all this. Sir, if he is with us, then why has all this misfortune come on us? Where are all the miracles that our ancestors told us about? They said, didn't God deliver us out of Egypt? But now he has left us and made us servants of the Midianites. The Lord turned to Gideon and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel out of the hand of Midian. Do you not understand that I am the one sending you? That's Judges six thirteen through 14. What I find funny here is that the people of Israel turn their backs on God, yet somehow God has left them, right? And I can pinpoint times in my life where I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, I can't believe you left me, Lord. And God's like, yeah, I didn't leave you. I'm still where I was. You're over there or you're over there, you left me, but that's how we work. We still blame God. And so that's what Gideon's doing here. It's like, dude, we heard of all these miracles and all this stuff going on. Why, why is it not happening? Why have you left us? And then God tells him, yeah, go in the strength that you have and deliver your people from the hand of Midian. You you complain in little twerp, (laughs) right? (laughs) But he doesn't say that. That's why I'm not God and God is God, I guess. Judges six verse 15 tells us, but Lord, how am I supposed to deliver Israel? My family is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. Lord, we are the JV squad and I'm the last guy on the bench of the JV squad. And you're asking me to go in and win the state championship, right? This is kind of what's going on here. I want to put a little bit perspective, a little modern twist on this guys. I know what we think, right? We see somebody like Doug up here preaching like, well, I'm not Doug. I can't do that. I'm not John and Keith. I can't do what they do on Sunday morning. I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not, I can't really do what God needs me to do because I'm not any of these people. I'm the least member of the, of the least family in the church. What am I supposed to do? That's where we're sitting at right now, guys. Then the Lord answers Gideon and says, all right, never mind. I must be at the wrong house. No, it doesn't say that, guys. I'm kidding. (laughs) You're all looking like, that's not in my Bible. Wait a minute. (laughs) No, he does not say, never mind. I must be at the wrong house. That's not what God says. In our version of the story, that's what God says, right? Because in our life, that's how it would work. Like if God calls me something the mighty, he would eventually say, wait a minute. I'm at John's house. I'm in the wrong house. Sorry. meant to go to the neighbors. (laughs) No, God doesn't do that. But now that I do have your attention, I want you to pay really close attention to this next part. What if for a brief instant, God could open your, a lot, your eyes and allow you to see yourselves the way that he sees you just for an instant. What do you think that would do to your life? You are a mighty warrior. No, I'm not God. He goes, yes, you are. No, I'm not God. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You are a mighty warrior. Who are you going to believe your estimation of yourself? Or God's estimation of you? And to help answer that question, I want to tell you, how do we view ourselves? Our view of ourself is based on what everyone around us has told us about ourself. That's your view of yourself. What everyone else tells you, they think you are. The question that I have this morning is, what if they're wrong? What if you're hanging around the wrong people? So you're letting ordinary people who have no idea who you are, tell you who you are. And then we're arguing with God. No, I'm not God. I'm not that. God's like, you're with the wrong people. Are you going to believe what I believe about you or not? Ordinary people live a life based on their view or others view of view of themselves while extraordinary people live life based on God's view of them. And that is a huge difference. Me living my life according to what I people think about me is entirely different than me living my life according to what I think God thinks about me. So back to that question I asked earlier: What if God would allow us to see ourselves the way that He sees us? I think in this moment, Gideon, Gideon is having that moment, right? When God says, "Mighty warrior, and I'm with you, and you're going to you're going to rescue your people," Gideon gets one or getting gets one of those one of those moments where God says, "Open your eyes and see what I see." I can imagine God leaning into Gideon and urging him to step in the person He made Gideon to be. There's a a Christian author, Donald Miller, and he wrote he wrote a book, Blue Like Jazz, and a bunch of others. And 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 one he I saw him at a conference, and he told a story one day that one of his really dear friends had a teenage daughter. She was like 15 or 16, which which my daughter turns 15 soon. <laughs> and she was hanging out with the wrong people, and, and this guy's going nuts. And he calls Donald, and he goes he goes I don't know what to do. He's like, she's hanging out the wrong crowd. She's, she's disobeying us and all this stuff is going on. And Donald stops for a minute and tells him, he goes, you know what? He goes, I think you need to change her story a little bit. She goes, she's being too ordinary. And so what he did is the dad decided, okay, there's this ministry apparently, which I didn't know about that. You actually can go in and you can buy a well in China or in Mexico and you build the well and, and they'll put it in these really poor communities that can't get clean water. So he sat down with his family and goes, okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. We're going to mortgage our house and we're going to buy well in Mexico and we're going to go down there and we're going to build it and we're going to use the community. We're going to do all these things. What do you think happened? The daughter broke up with the girlfriend and left all of her friends because she's like, why am I hanging out with these losers when I have this extraordinary thing going on in my life? That's exactly what God says to us. Why are you hanging out with these losers when I have extraordinary for you? Sometimes it just takes a perspective shift. God is whispering to you and he's whispering to me. If you could see you the way that I see you, you would step out of your ordinary and you would step into the extraordinary that I've made you for. If you could only see you the way that I see you. Judges six, verse 16, the Lord answers, go, I will be with you and you would totally destroy the forces of Midian as one man. Right? This Gideon who is hiding, this Gideon says, no God, this, you know, this Gideon that, you know, feels about, worse about himself as he possibly could. God says, go, go and you will destroy the forces of Midian. So the real question I have for you this morning and for me, and I've reflected on this all week, is will we be with God? We know that God is with us. The Bible tells us so. But are we going to be with God? Ordinary people live like God could be with them. Extraordinary people live like they are with God. Not only do I recognize God in my life, but I'm going to be with him. What he's doing, I'm doing. Where he's going, I'm going. I want to be with God. We have the freedom to do what is right in our own eyes, and that's the name of this this sermon series, Right in Our Own Eyes. God lets us do that. Whatever we determine right is right. God lets us do that. But by doing that, we live an ordinary life with the rest of the ordinary people around us. If we do, we miss the opportunity to be extraordinary and to change the world as an extraordinary person. God knows you're extraordinary. just we have to figure that out on our own. So Gideon now gets to make the decision of a lifetime. Will he take God at his word or will he not? And after praying about this all week, I know there's some people in this morning that are wrestling with that question right now. Will you take God at his word or will you not? So the rest of the story goes like this. Gideon starts out first by destroying an idol, just one idol, right? He sneaks out in the night, destroys one idol, comes running back to God, says, "Who? I destroyed an idol. I did it. I did it. God's like, that's, that's a start. <laughs> that's a baby step. Eventually that leads to him destroying the nation of Midian and leading his people back into the presence of God. And I encourage you to read the story. Basically he gets 10,000 men, cuts it to 300 and they destroy the Midian army with 300 men. Basically the Midian army destroys themselves because they get so freaked out all because one man Gideon decided I'm going to believe what God says about me when he calls me a mighty warrior. No fancy bells, no fancy whistles, no slick slogans, no false promises, no fancy sermons, right? Gideon just said, I think I'm going to believe God at his word. Are you sick of being ordinary? As believers, we are asked to be extraordinary in everything we do. But the problem is, is how do we do that? So 1300 years after, after the book of Judges and after Gideon, a man named Paul kind of gives us some advice about this this is Romans 8, verses 31 to 32. What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, his son, freely give us all things? Right? So at this time, the Roman church is persecuting the Christians, hated them, killed them every chance that they got. And Paul is saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? So do you want to know why you're extraordinary? Because 2000 years ago, he sent a son to die for you. That's why you're extraordinary. And one of the first rules of business is the value of a thing is the price that it'll bring. You want to know how much something is? Sell it on eBay and you'll find out how much it is. It's not how much you think it is. It's how much it actually is. The value of a thing is the price it'll bring. So you're so valuable that God said, I will give my son's life for you. So the death of Jesus is how valuable you are. makes it a little bit harder to live an ordinary life knowing that. Stephen Furtick, who's, who's an author and a pastor in a, I believe it's Elevate Church in North Carolina, Puts it like this, and I absolutely love this quote. It's dangerous to think more of yourself than you ought, but it is even more dangerous to think less of yourself than God does. And I'm going to repeat that. It is dangerous to think more of yourself than you ought, but it is even more dangerous to think less of yourself than God does. You are so valuable to God that you bear the mark of his sacrifice, son. Now wake up and live your life like you believe it. And if you do, at the end of your life, you're going to realize it was extraordinary, not because you've done anything special, but because you decided to live according to what God thinks about you and not live according to what the world thinks about you, because that's what an extraordinary life looks like.